Bitcoin DMC episode 20. That's 20. I'm Ken Rakowski in Los Angeles, California. And in Santa Monica, California is Mr. William Quigley. He is over at, uh, I'm not sure, are you at one of the offices, the, the Dr. Evil offices that you stay at all the time? Where are you? I'm at a pleasant office in Santa Monica. Ah, the pleasant office. For which business? Because you own thousands of them. Which one do you want to speak about? This one is Google. We just bought them. <laughs> you just bought, I just bought Google. We use yep. our BitConnect. <laughs> BitConnect, yes. <laughs> uh, you, you, are you over at the Opskin uh, Studio? Opskin's Wax. Opskin's Wax, that's where William is. You want to learn more about that, make sure you uh, take a little gander over to Opskin's or Wax and learn more about what's going on. We are in episode 20, and we have traveled around the planet with these different episodes. Uh, William has been in San Francisco. William has been in Los Angeles. William has been in San Francisco, and he's also been in Los Angeles. Um, I have been in Spain and in, uh, let's see, Jakarta. Next week I'm in Dubai. William will probably be back in San Francisco. You really don't go a lot. You used to travel like crazy like a year ago. You've actually been pretty stateside most of the time. Yeah, it's you? because of that ankle bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because you actually did the ICO, right? Yes. Yes, that's one reason. Very good point. Yeah, you're you're not running around the place. But would you do things differently if you launched another ICO? Would you do the aggressive travel that you did before, or would you do something differently? Yeah, I mean, uh, if I lived in, let's say, Korea, I wouldn't need to travel much at all. But you know, the United States is not uh, not that important when it comes to uh, token generation events or ICOs. Uh, so if you want to, you know, be relevant, you need to be in Asia. Okay, you have to go there. If you're going to have a successful ICO yes. and you want to rate and have the proper partners and relationships, you got to go over to Korea, Singapore, yeah, China. Come on. No, not China. China is close. Japan. But uh, Japan. Uh, Japan, yeah. I mean, all the world's biggest crypto exchanges are in Asia. Hong Kong. Yeah, you're right. You got to go. Hey, do you think if there is a unification of North and South Korea, that that would play any effect on any of this? No, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure it would have some effect, but not in a way that's predictable. You know, it's, it's uh, I don't see that happening because I don't necessarily see uh, what would have a huge impact on crypto prices globally would be if uh, the government of South Korea relaxed it's extreme currency control uh, rules. They do that with their own currency, not just crypto. I mean, their own currency. That's what I'm, yeah, that, yeah, this has nothing to do okay. with crypto, but they're one of the clo most closed countries on earth when it comes to allowing their citizens to use their money outside of Korea. Yeah, you go ahead and try to take a long outside Korea. They'll track you down. Yes, yes. They don't want you to do it, which makes things really tough. So uh, uh, one of the reasons the Koreans really like um, cryptos is because they don't have to deal with it. And, and what does that allow them to do by being so uh, currency conscious? Well, I think they have a, uh, a very antiquated, closed sort of view that um, if we don't let people in our country spend the Korean won outside of Korea, 
will uh, get more economic development in Korea. Hmm. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's not a very wise move, but it is, um, it's, it's, it's part of just the, how they work. So between, you know, China used to be like that, but now it's still not easy, but, but it's not impossible to get RMB, the Chinese currency out of China. But to get uh, rupees, the Indian currency, out of India or yuan, the Korean currency out of Korea is incredibly hard. Interesting. You know, for countries that are ostensibly democracies, they're very limiting in what they allow people to do. So do you feel then, again, if something happens with North and South Korea, it really wouldn't have an effect on the crypto space other than you can't get your 20s and $100 bills as easy as you used to since North Korea, of course, is the largest uh, counterfeiter of 20s and $100 bills in the world. So where are you going to go? It's where, yeah, it's where I get most of my Where are you going to go now? You know? uh, yeah, it'll be hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it is pretty exciting, actually. If this does happen, it's incredible. Well, you got to give a lot. I, I'd say you got to give almost all the credit to uh, to Trump if this happens. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Not, not Kim Jong-un's sister? I thought since she was at the Olympics and she smiled and she waved and she was friendly. Oh, that's true. That's true. That hand waving. You got to give her some credit on this too. I know everybody. I, 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 regardless of what your political position is, everyone, look at performance. And if you looked at performance, you probably go, "Yep, whoever is making this happen, let's let's maybe give him a Nobel Prize if this works because he's actually doing something." Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, we were near nuclear war when Obama was in office. When uh, with Korea. Uh, nothing much better with the uh, with George Bush. Uh, Bill Clinton, it was kind of average, but at the time they were um, uh, a good percentage of the North Korea was starving from the government-induced famine, so they couldn't really have enough time to harass outside of North Korea. But yeah, I've, I've been blown away at, with all of the predictions that uh, President Trump was going to uh, create uh, instability and even nuclear war by having a hardline stance with North Korea when the exact opposite has happened. This, by the way, Ken, is, you know, my opinion about, quote, experts. I think uh, uh, we're usually better off not paying attention to anyone who describes themselves as an expert, because that usually means they stopped learning a long time ago. All of the foreign policy experts who predicted a nuclear war if Trump was elected between North and South Korea, uh, and now the opposite is happening. I would appreciate a group of people who said that and you know all of their comments are are forever enshrined on the internet you can you can google them i'd like them to say hey we're stupid no they're not gonna do that and they're not experts they're pundits and last thing quickly you realize that you just got kanye west following you on twitter now he's following you just because of that hey hey (laughs) (laughs) all right let's let's step away from the political conversations let's talk about some interesting things Generally, when you, at least when I used to go to the technology conferences, if I would go to Comdex, if you remember Comdex or CES, you would generally see it to be 99% guys and 1% women. And most of the women that were there were booth babes or they worked for or they were for PR companies. Right. Yep. 
Yes. And then something eventually started to happen, maybe around 2013, 14, where we started to see more and more women getting involved, which was really great to see. But let's face it, in the crypto industry, it's almost all dudes, isn't it? Uh, it has been. You, you've seen in the last year some uh, uh, some women getting involved. Let's face it, there were very, very, very few people involved anyway, right? It was a tiny movement. It's gotten bigger. It's still tiny. But yes, there were very few women um, a year ago. I was just reading this article regarding a uh, well and i see a lot of conferences do this where they they make hey let's do a panel of all women hey all women panel and this one event was doing an all women panel for for blockchain and one of the lead people on that panel, one of the women said you know what i don't want to be on a panel of all women i i feel it's almost discriminating put me on a panel with all men and i could understand her point because, again, it's yeah. like doing a panel of, hey, let's find everybody that's uh, doing Bitcoin that are under four foot tall. Let's do that. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's uh, what it is, is it's a knee jerk reaction to uh, all of the like the Me Too movement, that movement that came about after uh, a lot of incidents of uh, sexual harassment in the workplace in Silicon Valley happened. Uh, and I always love pointing out Silicon Valley, which is very left-leaning, you know, is also extremely sexist, racist, and bigoted. How's that? But Why they, do you say that? They, uh, because I all I have to do is look at who makes money, who gets rich, who gets invited to good deals? Um, if Silicon Valley is so egalitarian, why is it just white men? And and I don't mind people saying, yeah, you know what? This is who we are, right? We are whatever. We uh, we have a club. We don't want anyone to join. All right, it is what it is. But don't go lecture us and everybody else about. Uh, how charitable and open-minded you are because the facts speak differently. So you're saying you're, and, you don't like the contradiction. That's what bothers you. No, okay. I don't. Yeah, the hypocrisy of it. And yeah, I haven't seen any of these all-women panels in uh, blockchain, but I would tell you I would hiss and boo if somebody said to me, let's do it. I'd say that's dumb. I don't know any women who uh, think it's a good idea to have an all-women panel I don't know any men who think it's a good idea to have an all-men panel. You know, it's like, what is your experience and what do you have to contribute to the conversation? And let's leave it, that, you know, at that, right? Let's set aside all the different sexes and, you know, put that for a different type of conference. Okay. Uh, I, hope, I hope this doesn't become a pattern. Uh, no, but I think it's a fad. I think it's... A it definitely is. I want an all-Catholic panel. <laughs> Well, I'll be honest. Maybe a I'll be lot honest. of a lot of know. guilt is on that panel. Let me just tell you, a lot of guilt. So William and I are celebrating our twentieth episode of Coin DMZ. You can find us. Just drop us an email. Hello, H E L L O at CoinDMZ.com. And we have so many things to discuss. When we come back, we'll talk about how Nasdaq is it going to become the crypto exchange? France slashes the cryptocurrency tax rate. Crypto traders may not care about pumping and dumping, but governments do. 
Tencent merges CryptoKitties and Pokemon Go. ICOs were so last year. Now it's all about the STOs. And coin burning is the latest hot cryptocurrency trend. Yeah, and we also have some listener email. Lots happening right here on episode 20 of Coin DMZ. That's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski. Hello at CoinDMZ.com. We are your one-stop shop for everything that's crypto, Bitcoin, BitConnect, blockchain, BitConnect, Tron. Um, <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I'm with Brock Pierce next week in Dubai. And uh, we were just kind of joking around. I go, yeah, I'll be with the sleepy, creepy cowboy from the future. And he goes, yeah, okay. <laughs> he kind of he kind of <laughs> took the John Oliver thing and just like, hey, I'll take it. I'll go with it. So I'm anxious to so I have to share something with you. So Brock is going to be doing a talk at this called the Future Blockchain Summit in Dubai. It's pretty big actually. It's a fairly big event that's going on. And in the terms and conditions of all of us speaking at the event, they said that we cannot talk about ICOs at all at the event. Interesting. And and I haven't been following uh, how comfortable they are with cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Have they been supportive of it or have they been cautious? Well, I think they got too eager with it being Dubai, not Abu Dhabi, but Dubai. And I think too many uh, scammy ICOs launched from Dubai, and now they're putting a kibosh on it. Now we got special, here's a Catholic term for you, dispensation for Brock to talk about ICOs, since he had one of the most successful ones uh, being EOS. But it's interesting, they want to make sure even conferences are not talking about, they're talking more about blockchain about the technology around that. So I'm anxious to see what's going to happen at that event next week. I am hosting the uh, entire Tuesday, or excuse me, Wednesday at the event. Hopefully you can make it. If you're there, let me know. Uh, I am uh, KenRadio at gmail.com. That's how you can find me. He's William at William is everywhere in the entire universe.com. Is that right, William? Almost. Hey, quiz question, since I always throw these out at you and you always get them wrong, which, by the way, people have laughed regarding how bad you were regarding our last token But I name told you game. I was feeling out of touch with all of these new weird coins coming out, so I knew I was going to do bad. Dude, you realize that with North and South Korea uniting, if they do, the crazy names that are going to be coming out of North Korea, just because they're new at it, they're going to go crazy with these new names. Yeah. But NS, N-A-S-D-A-Q, known as NASDAQ, what did it used to stand for? Uh, it was a national something. Automated. It still stands for it. It's the National Association of Security Dealers Automated Quotations. I got a couple words, right? Yeah, you got it right. 1971 is when it started off. 1971 and uh, I, I remember when it, it, it just I used to work at the Chicago Board of Trade when I was young at the CBOT and NASDAQ was like this hot thing that was going on in the in the mid 80s because it was all automated and it was it was really grabbing the thunder of all of these traders that were in the pits because they saw their jobs slowly being eliminated by NASDAQ 
which in some ways it's true, right? You don't see the whole trading places type environment. Remember trading places? I do indeed. <laughs> Orange juice futures, buddy. Let's do them. But NASDAQ is has got to grow up. It's got to change also. And it's potentially looking at crypto as maybe part of that transitional period, that change. Do you agree? Uh, yeah. And they, I remember working with them, I want to say in 2014, uh, when uh, we were looking at uh, different ideas around exchanges in the U.S. And uh, NASDAQ was very interested. Uh, they obviously have a lot of regulations and and just rules that they follow that have been passed down for decades so you can't just throw a new thing like cryptos at them but they have been uh very interested in this for a number of years they're not like a fair-weathered uh uh, blockchain interested uh, business. They really studied this and wanted to make uh, uh, any improvements to their exchange that they think could happen um, using blockchain technology. My guess is what they've been doing the last few years is just waiting to see when the institutional investors really scream out and say, we want to do this crypto trading, but we want to do it with an exchange we're used to and that we know is reliable. And so if NASDAQ decides to um, start to trade cryptocurrencies, not the futures and all that, which we knew weren't going to go anywhere and they haven't. Which it didn't. Not at all. Yeah, yeah it was just a dumb idea. Uh, you know, had they asked me, I would have said that to them. It's going to go nowhere. No one cares. Um, but lots of people would like to um, remember my rule about uh, uh, adoption of technologies. If you if you present those new technologies in a way that that's very uh, understandable to people, you know, use them in a way that people have interacted before, you know, anything where you can borrow from an existing behavior and uh, put your new thing in that existing behavior, it's great. Lots of institutional investors are used to going on to NASDAQ and trading. So, um, uh, if they want to do cryptocurrencies, I suspect a lot of uh, institutions would feel more comfortable with a name like NASDAQ saying, we're going to allow you to do it. Absolutely. If they endorse this, that's probably one of the most recognized markets in the world. Yeah. You know, you have NYC, FTSE, NASDAQ, Nikkei. Absolutely. So if they do this, they would lead the trend. But again, everyone out there listening, this is very early stage. This is conversation. That's all this is. Now, let's talk about France. So, uh, what was the last uh, uh, leader of France be before Macron? What was his name? Alone? No. Gosh. I, I don't do know my remember. Didn't he want to like make taxes like oh, 75%? Yeah. What was that? De Gaulle. Charles de Gaulle. No, no. That's a long time. Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I want taxes to be insanely high and everyone's going, I'm moving to England. I'm going to get the heck out of here. It might be a nice place, but I'm leaving. It looks like Macron, he, he's he's not an idiot. Not an idiot. No, I like what he's doing here. Yeah, I mean, um, if you want to get people to do an activity, lower the cost of it. Uh, if France wants its uh, investors, if, it's, if it wants its citizens to be participating, in the blockchain and cryptocurrency movement, then uh, they shouldn't punish them 
with ultra high targeted taxes. So uh, France has said they are going to, I don't know if it's been implemented yet, going to uh, slash tax rates from about 50% to 20%. That's going to have big deal. a big, big change. That's a big deal. That's massive, actually. So yeah. we'll see. Maybe France is starting to realize we got to get in this game. Let's be as assertive as what Malta is, since Malta is probably one of the most aggressive countries in the EU. Let's see if France now starts picking things up. Yeah, hey, let's and, face it. They- and I've been around long enough to have seen all of these countries initially ignore crypto because it wasn't big enough, then put a spotlight on it and try to stamp it out, then try to make it illegal. Then say, well, maybe we change your mind and then embrace it. Okay. Watch what happens there. So I've noticed a pattern over the last couple of years, especially since a lot of these uh, coins have just raced up in value. People talk about the gain. And when it falls, they don't talk about the fall, meaning, yeah, man, remember when Bitcoin was almost 20,000? Okay. And they would talk about, you know, I bought it at 5000 at 20 But they don't talk about it falling like crazy. They don't say, oh, it's down by 50 or 100%. They talk about these gains. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is more of a psychological position of where crypto is. People love the race. They love the race of seeing a token go up. And when it goes down, they almost ignore it. I don't want to look, don't want to look, don't want to look. Oh, it's going up again. Yeah. Oh, it's going down. I don't want to look. So they celebrate in this uphill ride, watching the value go up. And when it goes downhill, they want to leave and not participate. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is a lot of this time it is coin manipulation. Do you agree with me on this? I, I think it's hard to know. There are instances where uh, you see a coin uh, out of the blue uh, get a, do a lot of trading volume, maybe over... 24 or 48 hours, it doubles or triples. And um, when I don't see any particular news about that, you know, news that they just had some technical breakthrough or the coin got adopted by some company that's going to drive a lot of demand for it. When it's hard to figure out why that is happening, it might, generally my sense is, yeah, that's being manipulated. And by manipulating, what I mean is people just go on a few exchanges and start to buy an awful lot of it until the bots kick in. And there are most of the trading done on these exchanges is done by bots. Right. The bots are very poorly programmed for the most part. They're simplistic. And you know, part of their logic is coin goes up, goes right. fast, Go. buy it. Yep. So, but if you and I wanted to, let's just take a, a token, let's just say Tron. Let's go buy a hundred grand of Tron. And now let's go spend $10,000 and go put out bogus press releases on something. Just on Tron, whatever it is. Like Tron, rumor has it that Panama is going to use it as its new currency. Yep. Bam. Watch Tron go up. You and I get out of it when it doubles or triples. We've made our money. That's what I'm talking about manipulation. Because it's so easy to get fake press releases circulating around the internet and people are not educated enough to understand what's fake and what's real. Yeah, uh, and I guess if where you're going with this is we need more regulation or uh, you know, we uh, uh, buyer beware, you know, we can well, talk about either one of those. We're, we're, we're back on buyer beware, but I, I understand why 
crypto traders kind of like that ride. It goes back to that psychological ride up and down where governments, this is where they're saying, yeah, this is too easy to manipulate. We got to be, we, we still have to be cautious on whatever this is. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does. And uh, I think like a lot of things, these problems work them, their ways out. I mean, how much time can, <clears throat> do you think the U.S. government should spend to stamp out the uh, uh, Nigerian email scammers? 419? Wait, wait, wait. You mean that stuff's not real? There you go. How much time? But, I'm assuming I'll answer the question for you. You're like, yeah, I, not much. Most people understand it. They don't get scammed. They're bigger problems. Well, finally, finally, because it took some time. And that's true. And this will take some time as well. People get into it. But, you know, I've said this many, many, many times. Um, the solution uh, to to deal with the um, the fraud and the scammers in the cryptocurrency world is not going to come from the government. The governments don't understand how it's done. Any rules they put in place, people will find a workaround. It's going to come from the industry maturing and uh, making it much more difficult for those guys to get any exposure on legitimate like news websites about crypto, right? Like if you tried to, Ken, if you tried to uh, write a story that Google um, was uh, going to shut down its search engine because it violated a patent uh, somewhere and it was a lie, no legitimate news service would carry that story, right? Yeah, but let, let's step back on something. And this is going to the financial planners and these big financial institutions where they prevent their agents from talking about crypto. So think about a financial planner from a, I, I don't know, um, Massachusetts Mutual or or Aetna or whatever that, that financial planner's underwriter is. They cannot talk about crypto to their investors. They just can't. Now, what they generally do is they will tell their investors, their clients, hey, this doesn't sound right. This sounds kind of scammy. Don't put any money in here. And they're always a roadblock from them doing something stupid. And unfortunately, since these financial institutions prevent their agents from talking about crypto, there is no roadblock there. People are going to make hasty decisions because there's not somebody that's highly educated in the middle helping them with that process. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. So I, I think that the New York Life's, the Aetna's, the Massachusetts Mutual's, all these companies where there's financial planners working with them, they need to be able to talk about crypto. Yeah, uh, we can do another show uh, down the road. We can talk about the the challenges because there are very real challenges of, uh, let's say, a wealth management uh, representative at a big wealth management firm trying to get their clients into crypto. You know, how do you store the crypto that you get for them? Uh, what advice do you have for when they should uh, buy more or they should reduce their position because it's gone up a lot in value? Uh, until uh, the wealth management industry has a good understanding of what is driving cryptos, I don't think they can easily recommend it to their clients. I agree. Yeah, because they can't even talk about it. Since they can't talk about it, they're not trained in it. They don't even have the knowledge point. It might even be fair to say, even if you are trained, no one has any idea where these uh, <laughs> coins are going. 
Yeah, but let, let's start getting a, a different strata of educated people involved with this. And I think the language, the terms, the verbiage, I think it will become more common to be utilized amongst the masses. But we have to get those professional individuals involved. But we're not there yet. There's too many roadblocks. Hey, William, when I say the uh, name Tencent, how big is that company? Well, it's the biggest video game company in the world. It's, it's massive. I believe the second, first or second biggest, uh, most valuable company in China, uh, mobile gaming. Well, and they own tons of other businesses too. You know, for example, Spotify, they had a big chunk of Spotify. Uh, they're active investors in Riot Games and they're, they're, they're serious players and they understand what people's patterns are and habits because they can watch it on multiple platforms. So they did something fascinating. Pokemon Go, I'm not sure if you continue to play it. Um, my I have significant not other, uh, played it much. Dude, my significant other, Maya, she doesn't stop playing it. I think she's the only one in North America that's still playing it. Yeah, I don't doubt it. <laughs> and Crypto Kitties, it's still something, huh? That's a real thing. Yeah, it is generation one of, uh, of a new type of token. Uh, for the audience, some of you probably know this, but for those of you who don't, quickly, um, there's a, a crypto or a blockchain called Ethereum. Uh, it uses a smart contract. Many of you know that. Uh, Ethereum has a standard token. We call that the ERC20 token. And it has a newer token standard called the ERC721 token. The difference between the 721 tokens and the 20 tokens is the 721 tokens are backed or can be backed by unique items. So whereas all ERC-20 tokens are generic, one Ethereum token is the same as another, with the ERC-721 tokens, they represent unique things. They could be unique uh, pictures, but you, know, so you could have different images, uh, and every coin has a different image in it, a different file in it. So it's a very... Um, it's very uh, similar to uh, how some game companies work, where they issue unique digital objects. And so it looks to me like Tencent is going to create unique digital objects in their games and have people be able to trade them using the Ethereum uh, ERC721 blockchain. Sounds pretty smart. I think it's stupid. Why? I have, based on what I've read, uh, I mean, I like the idea of taking Pokemon Go phase and kind of blending that with some of the Crypto Kitties idea. By the way, Crypto Kitties has one value, which is you make money on it. That's the only difference. So they said, wow, what if we made uh, a Crypto Kitty type game um, and uh, with all the popularity and ease of use of Pokemon Go, wouldn't it be great? I think it very well might be great. What I can't figure out is why in the world do you need the blockchain? I think the yeah. blockchain, frankly, is a gimmick. And I say that for this reason. If they were actually putting all of these, um, these uh, virtual items, I think it's called monster hunt, so it's like little monsters. If they were putting those on the Bitcoin or the Ethereum blockchain, where anyone who can you know, get access to those chains could trade them, I think it would be cool. Instead, they're creating a copy of the Ethereum blockchain 
and they're only going to allow people to trade these items on the 10 cent close. Oh, bad idea. Terrible idea. Why do you even need a blockchain in that case? Just do it the way you do it with regular video games, have your own software. It's got to be decentralized, open for everybody. That's the whole premise. It has to be, yes. And so if you have a blockchain that's a private blockchain that you can shut down anytime, then it's, I'm sorry, it's not like CryptoKitties. CryptoKitty tokens are on the Ethereum blockchain. No one can take them from you. Tencent can can eliminate any of the things you own if it doesn't like you. If you're if you're uh, if you're a Chinese social score is low, right? <laughs> they steal them or whatever. So I don't like the idea. So let's move on to something else. I know we've talked about ICOs for the last twenty episodes, initial coin offerings. When we talk about different types of tokens, a utility token and a security token, you always sometimes cringe when you hear about a security token. You go, because there's so much more regulation that goes around that. When we say a STO, is that the security token offering? Is that the whole cringe thing that you've talked about in the past? Well, first of all, people, yeah, what is an STO, right? Everybody heard of ICOs, and what we used to say, this goes back, I don't know, 15 minutes ago, we used to say, ICOs versus TGEs. An ICO, an initial coin offering, we ultimately started calling anything that we thought was a security token, we said was an ICO, okay? And then we had TGEs, token generation events. And TGE sales were for utility tokens. And that lasted about six months, and now, uh, someone has decided to call uh, the ICOs uh, STOs, which I guess is just a security token offering. And uh, it's the same thing as an ICO. It's, it's the same. As, okay, got it. Just a new name. It's the new Coke. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not. It's not even new Coke. It's, it's, it's like Cola. Remember when like came out, they copied Coke? Yes. And it was like, it was the same thing, but it had a different name. This it's is like, like yeah. Cola. Yeah. Yeah. All right, last last term I want to throw out. What is coin burning? Um, yeah, it's become more well known recently to burn a coin. So to burn a coin means to eliminate that coin from being traded. So it's kind of like Apple buying back their own shares. Yeah, if you if you have let's say uh, a million tokens and uh, the tokens are all worth a dollar, if you were to get rid of half of those 500,000 tokens, it's conceivable that the remaining tokens would be worth $2, right? Mm -hmm. Possibly. And so the idea around coin burning is some tokens like Ethereum or Ether, they have an unlimited supply, right? So they're always making new Ethereum or ETH tokens. Uh, and many, many other tokens are like this. Bitcoin has new supply all the time, though it is capped at 21 million. So the idea was, well, rather than be like the U.S. government and other governments and keep printing money, driving down the value of the currency, what if we had a method to uh, grab existing tokens on the blockchain and get rid of them? And... and uh, there's different words for describing that, and one is called burning them. And all burning means is 
uh, like I said, you remove those tokens from circulation. How you move them from circulation, there's different ways, but one of the common ways is for, let's say the miners who are uh, 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 mining that particular token, they will take the tokens and they will send them to a address for which they don't have the private key. So Got it. they can never be recovered. So it's not really burning. I mean, it's not being absorbed anymore. Where if Apple buys that share, it owns that share. That share is still a share well, of the company maybe, stock. Maybe, maybe. So that, even with stock, a lot of people are familiar with stock buybacks. Well, there's two ways to do a stock buyback. A company can buy back a million shares and hold them in its treasury and be able to sell them at any time it wants to again, or it can actually uh, uh, dissolve those shares. It can actually cancel the shares mm. and, 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 and legally reduce the number of shares outstanding in the company. Most don't do that, um, that I'm aware of, but uh, when you burn a token, it's gone forever. You know, it, That's what I thought. Back. It's gone. So William and I are here for you all the time, and we love to get your emails. We love to get those letters. Yep, we get tons of letters. Our mailbag email address is easy. It's hello at coindmz.com. I am going to grab the very first email that's coming to us. It's actually directed to William. So I'm going to read this email to you, William. This is coming from Amy Liu from Taipei. Uh, this email is for William. In the past show, you mentioned that you are the owner of Mount Gox. Hey, congratulations being the owner of Mount Gox. I see many news stories regarding Mt. Gox selling Bitcoin. I personally had an account there and never got my money out. What can I do? Well, Mr. Owner. Well, first, <laughs> yeah, first, I'm very sorry to hear that. Lots and lots of people lost money in Mt. Gox. It's a, it's a probably a mostly forgotten story now, but it was the first Bitcoin exchange. It was the largest. Uh, and uh, many hundreds of millions of dollars of Bitcoin went missing. Uh, still a mystery as to how it went missing, uh, but uh, the current theory is just that uh, bad internal controls and there was some theft. Anyway, uh, uh, I and Brock Pierce tried to help Mt. Gox when it became public that it had lost $400 million of Bitcoin back when Bitcoin was trading at like $300. And uh, 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 Mark Carpellis, the founder, seemed pretty uh, welcoming of us to help them out and uh, try to put some stability in, try to settle class action lawsuits. We did all that. And uh, in return, Mark Carpellis, who was worried about going to jail and all kinds of other things, sold uh, to Brock and me, uh, Mt. Gox, the company which did appear to be have, have no value at the time because it was, uh, uh, it was bankrupt. He had put it into bankruptcy. <clears throat> Due to some very odd uh, outcomes of the bankruptcy court in Japan, uh, it is conceivable that uh, the company itself will have uh, will will actually get access to some of the Bitcoin. And uh, I wouldn't want Mark Carpellis to get a hold of that, so we are trying to make sure he doesn't. All I can tell our uh, our listener is. Uh, 
I believe that the the intention of the Japanese government is to uh, distribute money equal to whatever the price of Bitcoin was at the time you had it in there, which, by the way, is a bad deal, but that's how it is. That's what the government saying. So if you lost one Bitcoin and Bitcoin was $300 at the time the company went bankrupt, you'll get $300. Ain't much, I know, but... Uh, you, got, uh, you, put, you, know, you got what you put in. Yeah, at the time. And so, um, uh, but the Japanese government has not been very, or the bankruptcy court has not been very... Uh, transparent here, and we're trying to figure it all out. So stay tuned. As I get new news, I'll talk about it on the podcast. Thank you, Amy Lou. I appreciate that. You got one from Darren. What do you got? Who's Darren? So Darren uh, Moline from Illinois. No, I think I think it's uh, Darren from Moline, Illinois. I think that's what it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Darren from Moline, Illinois. Spoken like a true Illinois guy yourself. <laughs> so um, what Darren says is, I was one of the lucky few who bought Bitcoin when it was under $100. I have over $25 million worth of Bitcoin at today's value. I'm actually money broke. I have under $100,000 in savings. By the way, that's money rich to a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but anyway. Would you guys suggest I sell and get the cash or ride longer? So you have... $25 million worth of Bitcoin and you bought that at $100 a coin. It's incredible that he got it at that time and he's maintained holding on to it. So hooray for that. Yeah. So Ken, first you, what do you recommend? He do. Well, he's got a hundred grand in the bank and he lives in Illinois. It's not an expensive, depending upon, oh, he's in Moline. Moline is right next to Iowa it's a very inexpensive place to live 100 grand okay hey i would uh i would take out 10 million of it right away just if you can find and people would be very happy to buy it from you uh you're going to have to pay capital gains <laughs> but god even 10 million think about 10 million dollars if he can get 5% interest on his money on 10% this guy is going to have enough without even eroding his principal to live on for the rest of his life. Yeah. So what would you recommend he sell $10 million worth? That's what I say. What do you say? Um, I'm, I agree with you that you should sell some. Uh, I would probably sell at today's prices uh, $5 million worth. And I say that meaning you know, 20, 20%. Now, why so little? Uh, a couple of reasons. But the main reason is that I believe Bitcoin will be going much, much higher. I also believe, based on what he's described, that he is not like itching to get this cash in his bank account. He's held on as the price of Bitcoin has gone from $100 to $20,000 to $6,000 back to $9,000. Uh, so, you know, you could do some cool stuff with $25 million. You can do some really cool stuff with, I don't know, 250 million. So um, if you uh, want to take out 5 million, and I do think that's prudent to take out a little, but I simply believe that Bitcoin is going much, much higher. And so because I have that belief, I'm not, I wouldn't personally be looking to uh, protect my downside because I don't think I have much of one. But in the short term, let's call that one to two years, it could dip, and maybe he does have a pressing need during that time. And uh, so get some liquidity, 
and the rest let it ride. We also don't know how old he is, you know, because uh, he could potentially let it ride for a long time. But again, just getting 5% on $5 million, that's $250,000 in interest a year without touching his principal. That's pretty good to live on. Well, you don't live on that, though, because depending on where he lives, he might be uh, giving up half of that in state and local taxes. All right. Uh, Paul from Bratislava. I've been there. Love Bratislava in Slovakia. Uh, I don't understand the term fiat. What does it mean and where does it come from? (laughs) By the way, this is actually kind of funny because this was a conversation last week with a mutual friend of ours. You know, the guy that um, Pretty Woman is based upon. Um, Have you seen that movie? Uh, Many times. So he is Julia Roberts, right? (laughs) That's what we're told. Yeah. So um, what's Fiat? So Fiat is a small European car. No, that's Fiat. Fiat? Ah, (laughs) It stands for for Fix It Again, Tony. That's what it stands for. (laughs) So what is Fiat? It is a funny thing I will tell you, Paul. Uh, Many, many, many people have uh, uh, said, why the heck is this word? You can Wikipedia the the word, of course, but why – why has it come up? It's only come up because for the first time in 100 years, we have an alternative. So uh, for about the last 100 years, uh, countries have been issuing paper money backed essentially by nothing, uh, which, by the way, is the criticism a lot of people make against cryptocurrencies. Well, it's backed by nothing, like the paper money you've had. What's fascinating to me, though, is this this, uh, this concept has really only been popular among the governments of the world for the last hundred years. Maybe you could say uh, prior to that, people were smarter and didn't uh, take paper money backed by nothing, which could be debased over time. But that's the term. It's just the concept of a government issuing money, but not backing it with anything. And just it's a it's a promise that they will regard it as legal tender in their country. Didn't the actual term get utilized? I mean, it actually goes back uh, I did just Wikipedia. Fiat money originated in the 11th century in China. But where it started to be utilized was when Nixon back in 71 basically decoupled uh, the U.S. dollar to the gold standard. And yeah, much before then, though, I mean, it's it still was much before. Then. But yeah, yeah, that's officially the end of Bretton Woods was 71. Got it. When uh, we decoupled the U.S. dollar from from uh, from gold, um, and you could argue that's when it really became debased. All right, we got one last email. What do we got? This is Lee from Cairo, Egypt. What have the two of you, Ken and William Ison, bought with your crypto besides other ICOs? Ken, uh, property, like physical oh, property, yeah. uh, a business actually bought a business with crypto in other countries, not in the United States. So um, I was able to utilize crypto as a, a tool uh, to actually acquire those things, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, and if you've been listening, Lee, to our podcast while, well, you probably know that I personally don't think most cryptocurrencies are, uh, are a useful replacement of most forms of currency that you use now because they're not needed. 
Uh, cryptos are wonderful creations, but they're useful in specific things and not useful in a lot of others. If you're, uh, if you go to a fast food restaurant uh, anywhere in the world, you probably don't need to pay with cryptos. It's probably just easier to pay with your local cash. Uh, so um, what have I bought with my cryptos? I've registered for conferences, crypto oh, conferences. Okay. I have, I have uh, bought some online services with cryptos. And uh, I have bought uh, 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 video game uh, virtual items with cryptos. Which um, is your, your, your company. Your company does that every day. Millions and millions of yeah, dollars a day. I've yes. got it. Yes, and I've I've also paid off uh, debts that I've owed uh, using crypto. Wait, wait, wait! You had debt. I I've never heard you ever say you had any debt. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I've had debt. I you know you go to a uh, a restaurant and somebody says, "Hey, uh, I'll cover you," and you're like, "Okay, no oh, okay, and, um, all right." You know, point right. one ETH or something. Okay, got it. You don't just Venmo that. I'm gonna Venmo you that. Gotta I hear really that with, don't use Venmo. <laughs> I don't either, but I hear it all the time with the, the millennials. I'll Venmo you that. I don't have Venmo. I probably have so much money sitting in my Venmo account now. Um, you know, William, I think that more and more sites are popping up. Travel sites are taking crypto. Uh, Overstock, of course, did. I've got furniture doing it that way. But more sites are doing it, and membership organizations are allowing you to pay with crypto to join which I thought was interesting. So you'll see it. You'll see it more as time goes on. Uh, I think the transactions are getting a little easier. I know Stripe and Square and those platforms allow you to use uh, crypto now to actually pay with. So that's it. We just have to have more integration with that, uh, the payment plus, uh, platforms. So William, no, uh, no traveling for you in the next couple of weeks? I will be up in San Francisco at a, uh, uh, a blockchain conference. Really? Another blockchain. You know, you're not going to any telecom conferences anymore. Uh, no, no, no telecom conferences. That's <laughs> true. That's old All right. school. William, you, of course, are over at uh, at Wax or Opskins. Check that over there. You want to find us, it's hello at coindmz.com. William, thanks a lot for being with us and hanging out with, with us, with me, episode 20. And we have more to do with you. Don't go away. Thanks a lot for listening to Coin. DMZ.